Exodus, the lead character, Elizabeth Bennett, learns some hard lessons about making rash judgments about people. We all do that, don't we? Right? We bump into somebody and we make those rash judgments. But Elizabeth also came to appreciate the difference between phony goodness and actual goodness. And we do that a lot too, don't we? We can tell when somebody's goodness is real and we can tell when it's fake. This is a lesson that God reveals throughout the book of Judges. And we really just got started good, but Judges has been a blessing to my heart. And this morning, your message is entitled, Not Pride and Prejudice. Your sermon is entitled, Pride and Persistence. You see, at the beginning of 2021, we began studying this book of Judges. This book about men and women who, by the power and the direction of God himself, began to deliver God's people from their enemies. But for the past four weeks, we have been laser-focused on Gideon, a weak man whom God made a warrior judge. Now, you may remember that when the Lord first chose him to lead God's people, Gideon was a fearful young man, very fearful. And while Gideon hesitated to obey the Lord at first, eventually Gideon did as God commanded. Gideon led a tiny force of 300 men against an enemy army of 135,000. Obviously, God intervened and gave Gideon and his men an amazing victory. Now only 15,000 of that original 135,000 men remain. Today's passage records that while this was a great victory, apparently not everybody in Israel was happy at the victory that God had given to Gideon and his men. They were not all excited as they were. And so today we're going to see something really special. We're going to see both sides of human character. On one hand, we're going to see the pride of people who only care about themselves. You ever met anybody like that? Those people fail to see the big picture of what God is doing in the world. And then on the other hand, we're going to see those who are motivated by the glory of God. They get it. They are others-centered, and they persist in God's work no matter what. They persist in God's work in the face of incredible opposition. They persist in God's work in the face of undue criticism. And they persist in God's work under overwhelming odds. So as we look at these different types of people today, I also want us to reflect on ourselves. Because you see, that's what the Bible does so well. 
The Bible in and of itself was not written to save you. It was written so that you might see the sin in your life. So I pray that when it's all said and done this morning, you'll find yourself not on the wrong side, not even on the right side, but that you'll find yourself on God's side. Let us begin in Judges chapter 8. That's going to be in or around page 223, and the Bible's there in front of you. Because I want you to see that some of God's people are prideful. Did you know that? Some of God's people are prideful. In Judges chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, the scripture reads, Now the men of Ephraim, now Ephraim was a part of Israel, a part of God's people, okay? Now the men of Ephraim said to Gideon, Why have you done this to us by not calling us when you went to fight the Midianites? And they reprimanded him sharply. And so he said to them, what have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer? God has delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. How would you like to have the name Zeb? Amen? I see a whole bunch of Zebs out there, praise the Lord. And what was I able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger toward him subsided when he said that. So what happened was the men of Ephraim met up with Gideon and they began to criticize him. You see, many in Israel were critical, critical of what God had done through Gideon and his men. The Bible says that they reprimanded him sharply with strong and cutting words. They attacked Gideon. Why? Because he didn't include them in the battle. They were mad because Gideon did not include them in the battle. Now, on the surface, you may say, well, they might have a good point. Maybe Gideon should have included them. But I want you to know that in this case, they are just plain old jealous of Gideon's victory. They are mad. They're mad because they missed out on the spoils of war. They're mad because they didn't get any glory when Gideon won this battle. I mean, if the men of Ephraim were truly concerned with how Israel was being treated by these Midianites, what in the world took them so long to get worried? Amen? What took them so long? Why weren't they already taking a stand for the things of God? And furthermore, they could have volunteered. They could have volunteered for Gideon's army but they probably would have been part of that fearful 22,000 that went to the house. Remember them? These men are typical of those people who are full of self. Like prideful peacocks. They strut around looking for attention. They say, look at me. Look how important I am. Amen. And like peacocks, they usually won't do anything, but boy, they're quick to criticize those who do. They won't make a decision. They won't take a risk. They won't get outside their comfort zone, and they won't join in with others. But boy, they don't hesitate to find fault in those who are serving the Lord God Almighty. Can I tell you this morning that there are plenty of people today 
that think and act just like those strutting peacocks in Ephraim. That critical attitude, I believe, is one that the church can do without. And the church said, Amen. So, there were many in Israel who were critical. But there were also others in Israel who were controlling. You see, instead of getting angry at their criticism, Gideon instead responds with grace. Can I tell you, in the midst of any conflict that you're going through, a response of grace is the best way to respond. In verse 2, Gideon reminds those men of Ephraim how the Lord has blessed them. He basically says that the leftovers from your harvest is greater than all of our harvests. God has really blessed you. He reminds them that God has enabled to they enable them to capture those two Midianite princes, Oreb and Zeb. And while being criticized, what does Gideon do? He just swallows his pride. He responds with grace. Why did he do that? Because Gideon is not motivated by his own personal feelings. Gideon is not motivated by his own personal emotions. Gideon is motivated... By the will of God. Gideon is motivated by what's best for all of God's people. So, friend, if you're doing something for the Lord, you're serving him with all your heart, can I tell you that you can expect to be criticized by people who do nothing. When they attack your efforts, or worse, attack your motives, it would be real easy for you just to... Blast them, amen? Lash out at them. Tell them off. Put them in their place. But no, instead of getting sidetracked, respond with grace. Instead of getting sidetracked by critical and controlling people, why not just keep your eyes on the work that God has given you to do? Because when all the battles are done and you're standing before God, let me tell you, you will not have to give an account to those people who are criticizing you. Amen? Amen? Who are you going to give an account to? You're going to give an account to the Lord. So after Gideon's victory, some of God's people were indeed prideful. But some of God's people, we learn, are deeply political. Let's continue reading in verse 4 of chapter 8. Because when Gideon came to, to the Jordan, he and the 300 men who were with him, crossed over, listen, exhausted, but still in pursuit. Then he said to the men of Succoth, Please give loaves of bread to the people who follow me, for they are exhausted. And I am pursuing, pursuing Zeba and Zalmana, the kings of Midian. And the leaders of Succoth said, Well, are the kings of Zeba and Zalmana now in your hand, that we should give bread for your, for your army? And so Gideon said, for this cause, for this reason, when the Lord has delivered Zeba and Zalmana into my hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. And so there he went up. He went up there to Penuel. And he spoke to them in the same way. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Succoth had answered. And so he also spoke to the men of Penuel saying, when I come back, when I come back in peace, I will tear down 
this tower. So as we read that portion of scripture, we see that Gideon just makes a real simple request, y'all. A very simple request. Gideon and his 300 men are pursuing the remnants of that enemy army. And Gideon becomes concerned. He becomes concerned that his men are getting exhausted. And so as they pass through the towns of Succoth and Penuel, Gideon makes a simple request of his fellow countrymen. He just said, can you give us some bread? Can you provide some bread for our army? And God's people that were in Succoth and Penuel respond with a shameful refusal. Instead of helping God's chosen deliverer, elders in both towns refuse to get involved in Gideon's fight. But listen, whether they want to or not, whether they think they are or not, they're involved in the fight because they're supposedly God's people. Basically, these men are playing politics with the things of God. That's dangerous, dangerous territory. They ask Gideon, do you have the enemy kings in your custody? In other words, if you don't have the kings in custody, then you haven't really won the war. And if you haven't really won the war and we help you, then if you're defeated by those kings, they might come and they might pay, make us pay a terrible, terrible price. Uh, no, you're not getting any bread from us. So when the people of Succoth and Penuel refuse to support God's work, do you know what they're actually doing? They're actually showing that they were against God's work. If they didn't support God's work, then they were against God's work. And furthermore, by refusing to help Gideon and his army, they were basically guilty of helping the enemy. Amen? Because if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. Amen. Some Christians today try to play politics with the things of God. But listen, there's no gray areas when it comes to serving the Lord. There's no gray areas when it comes to the work of the Lord. You cannot be neutral when it comes to serving God. Either you are or you're not. Amen. You're either serving God or you're not serving God. Jesus put it this way. He said, he who is with me, who is not with me, is against me. He who is not with me is against me. And furthermore, Jesus said, he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Are you getting the picture? Refusing to give to the Lord's work? Refusing to participate in the Lord's work, refusing to respect the Lord's work is just evidence that you're looking out for number one. Amen? Self. And furthermore, you're guilty of helping the enemy. So Gideon makes that simple request for bread. God's people make that shameful refusal telling them no way. But then Gideon gives them a solemn reply. Because these two cities refused to help Gideon, he tells them they are going to sure enough face judgment. 
They're going to face judgment when he finishes off the rest of the Midianites. He says there's a price to pay when you stand against the work of the Lord. And friend, listen, we would do well to remember that truth today. One day you and I will stand before the Lord and we will give an account of how you and I have used what God has given us. We will give an account of what God has given us, whether it be abilities, whether it be gifts, or whether it be resources. How are you using what God has given you? Are you using it for self? Are you helping the enemy with it? Or are you using it for the glory of God? Only you can answer that question. Are you a teacher? Then how about standing up and teach the word of God? Amen? Are you a singer? Well, why not stand up and sing the praises of the Lord? Do you have a dollar? Hey, man, just give it to Jesus and just watch what he does with it. Do you have a testimony of what God has done in your life? How Jesus has saved your soul? If you do, why not share your three-minute redemption story for thousands of people to witness and maybe come to Christ because of it? Can I tell you that I'm a bit concerned that we have uh, provided this opportunity to share our three-minute redemption stories, and you know how many at Bethel have done it? Was Billy Graham right? Is the greatest mission field that we have in the church? Is the reason that more haven't shared their redemption story because they don't have one? I don't think we can ignore opportunities like that. People are paying more attention to social media these days than ever in the history of man. And the opportunity to reach thousands for the glory of Jesus Christ to share the good news of the Lord has never been more available to you and I. All I'm saying is this, y'all. Especially when these COVID mandates are lifted and when, when, when all the, the, the people become vaccinated... Let's be ready. Let's be ready to get up and get active in the work of the Lord. And never ever be found hindering, opposing, or standing in the way of what God is trying to do in this world. Let's be ready. Because you see in Israel, some people, some of God's people were prideful. While others of God's people we're very political, trying to be politically correct. But finally, I want you to see that some of God's people were also persistent. While some of God's people walked in their pride and others allowed personal political agendas to dictate their faith or their lack thereof, Gideon and his men simply persevered in the work of the Lord. Gideon and his 300 
provide a supreme example to you and I who want to be found faithful in God's work. Let me show you by seeing first how Gideon's 300 continued. Instead of being discouraged by criticism, instead of being discouraged by the controlling attitudes of those men in Ephraim, instead of being disheartened by the callousness of the people in those two cities that wouldn't even give them a morsel of bread, Gideon and his 300 pressed on. They pressed on. And I love verse 4. Which says, when Gideon came to the Jordan, he and his 300 men who were with him crossed over, exhausted, but still in pursuit. Exhausted, but still in pursuit. They were tired. They were weary. They were hungry. They needed rest. But still, they carry on. What a great attitude for me and you. A great attitude for us as we serve the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. I mean, friend, where did the idea come from that there was a point where we retire on the Lord? Anybody know about that? Uh, where did the idea come from that it was okay to watch other people do the Lord's work? Where did the idea come from that we could just relax and take it easy on God? Where did the idea come from that you can join a church, but you ain't never got to do nothing? Where did those ideas come from? I don't know where those ideas come from, but I know where they didn't come from. The Lord never said that there comes a time where we can lay down and quit. On God. The Lord never said it. Instead, he said in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable. Listen to this. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So even though we grow weary from time to time, and we all do, let's determine that we're going to be like Gideon and his 300 who faithfully continued, exhausted but still in pursuit. We're only in this world for a very short time. Last week I shared that our life is but a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. So while we're in this world for a short time, while we're here, let's commit that we're going to do all we can for the glory of God. Gideon and his 300 continued that way. But Gideon and his 300 also conquered. Let's look at verse 10. Now Ziba and Zalmanah were at Kakor, and their armies with them, about 15,000, all who were left of all the army of the people of the east, for 120,000 men who drew the sword had fallen. Then Gideon went up by the road of those who dwell in tents on the east of Nobah and Jogobah, and he attacked the army while the camp felt secure. And when Ziba and Zalmanah fled, he pursued them, and he took the two kings of Midian, Ziba and Zalmanah, and he routed the whole army. 
routed the whole army. Gideon and his 300 routed, wiped out the remainder of that army. They persevered in the face of opposition. They persevered in the face of criticism. And they enjoyed an incredible victory. Because they would not stop, y'all. Because they would not stop short of victory, God moved in their life in a supernatural way. Friend, listen, the promise of Scripture is, is that if you and I will refuse to quit, if you and I will persist in following the will of God, we will see him use us in a great, great way. Paul encouraged the Galatian believers this way. He said, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap. Y'all, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So let us persist in following the will of God. Gideon and his 300 continued. They conquered. But then notice how Gideon and his 300 concluded in verse 13. Then Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from battle from the ascent of Heres, and he caught a young man from the men of Succoth and interrogated him. And he, that young man, wrote down for him, the leaders of Succoth and its elders, 77 men. And then he said, he came to the men of Succoth, and he said, Here is Zeba and Zalmanah about who you ridiculed me, saying, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmanah now in your hands that we should give bread to your weary men? And he took the elders of the city and thorns of the wilderness and briars, and with them he, quote, unquote, taught. He taught the men of Succoth. In other words, he disciplined the men of Succoth. In other words, he killed them with the briars of the wilderness. Then he went to Penuel, and he tore down the tower of Penuel and killed the men of the city. And he said to Zeba and Zalmanah, What kind of men were they who you killed at Tabor? And so they answered, As you are, so were they. Each one resembled the son of a king. Then he said, They were my brothers. They were my brothers, the sons of my mother. As the Lord lives, if you don't let them live, I would not kill you. And then Gideon said to Jether, his firstborn son, Rise and kill these men. But the youth would not draw his sword because he was afraid because he was still a youth. Does that sound familiar? Like father, like son, right? So Zeba and Zalmanah said, Rise yourself, Gideon, and kill us. For as a man is, so is his strength. So Gideon arose, killed Zeba and Zalmanah, and took the crescent ornaments that were on their camel's necks. So Gideon comes back, as promised. And when he comes back, he's got the Midianite kings in custody. And when he came to Succoth, he put 77 elders to death, just like he promised. When he came to Penuel, he tore down that tower and he put all their elders to death, just like he promised. And then Gideon killed the last two members of that Midianite army, the two kings. Gideon enjoyed absolute victory over all of his enemies. And some of his enemies were in his own country. Some of his enemies were God's people. 
So here's the life, life principle in God's word for you today. Those who walk with the Lord and do his will will enjoy victory in their lives. Did you hear me, church? Those who walk with the Lord and do his will will enjoy victory in their lives. So if you want the Lord's blessings, if you want the Lord's power in your life, if you want the Lord's victory in your life, then the only path that you should follow is his path. That's the only one available to you. So, friend, if you had to sum up your life today, how would you do it? We said we're going to reflect on ourselves today. So would you say that you're walking in pride? Do you know what the greatest inhibition to a person becoming saved is? Pride. They say, Bill, I can't do it. And Jesus says, you're right. They say, I can't live a Christian life if I go and get saved. Jesus says, you're right. It's not about you, is it? It's about what Jesus did for you. Are you walking in pride? Or are, are you allowing your life to be revolving around your own personal political agenda? See, you might want to walk the center rope. You might want to try to straddle the fence a little bit in the world, but a little bit with God too. Let me just tell you, you can't be neutral. You can't be neutral. It's one or the other. Or could you honestly say that you are doing your best, submitting to the Spirit of God and persisting in your walk with the Lord? What about in your private life? What about in your public life? Are you walking with God? What about in your personal life? Are you walking with God? What about in your life in the church? Are you walking with God? Listen, friends. He is looking for people who will take their stand for him. He is looking for people who will say, we will not back down. We are God's people. And we're going to do what's right in the eyes of God. God is looking for people who will get involved in what he's trying to do in this world. He's looking for those who will get involved. He's looking for those who will help others to serve him and to do it well. Are you one of those kinds of Christians? Are you what God is looking for? If you've come to God through faith in Jesus Christ, I want to answer that question for you. You are what he's looking for. You are what he's looking for. So, friend, if God has spoken to you about the devotion level in your heart for the things of God, if God has spoken to you today about the devotion level of your life for the things of God, if God has spoken to you today about your level of service in his church and in his work, I want you to know that the place to talk to him about that is right here. There's no better place to get started than right here. We do it during a, a time that we call our decision time. But you know, in all actuality, it's really kind of a devotion time. 
It's where the lost can be, come and be saved. It's where the Christian can come and devote their lives. It's where those who are on the outskirts of the Lord's ministry can come on the inside and get to work for God. Friend, who will pray today that God's people would be willing to devote their heart, their life, and their service to the glory of God? Who would pray today? Come on up here, brother. Both of you, come on. All right, which one's Silas and which one's Noah? Silas and Noah, okay, here we go. I'll get right here. Let me get, get the right height. Get up here close. Okay, here we go. Silas and Noah, did I get that right? So we're going to pray today, aren't we? And you know who we're going to pray for? We're going to pray for all these people right here. We're going to pray for them that they would give their heart to God, they would give their life to God, and that they would want to serve God in the church and even in places where they work or go to school. Okay? So what I want you to do is I'm going to say something, and then I want you guys to repeat it together. Okay? Can you do that? Okay. So here we go. Dear Lord, Dear Lord, we love you today. We love you today. And we're praying. And we're praying. For each person in church today. For each person today. Lord, we know. Lord, we know. You want to use them. You want to use them. For your glory. For your glory. Father, if there's one that's lost. Save him today. Save him today. Lord, if they're one not serving you, Lord, they're not serving you. Help them to serve you today. Help them to serve them today. Father, thank you for Jesus. Father, thank you for Jesus. For dying on the cross for me. For dying on the cross for me. And for dying on the cross for your church. For dying on the cross for your church. We love you so much. We love you so much. Have your will. Have your will. Your way. Your way. For your glory. For your glory. Today. 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 And always. And always. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.